This is the River Radius, a cultural nexus of rivers, people, and boats. I am your host, Sam Carter. Welcome. I am thinking it was 60, 70,000 CFS, and it was a monster. At first, we didn't know how rough it would be. We soon found out it was wild. 15 to 20 foot waves, over one and right into another. We nearly flipped. I thought it was right out of the raft. This was real teamwork, teamwork for survival. And then we came to the first canyon. But the canyon narrowed, and the river suddenly got very steep and out of control. Then things went crazy. Everything broke loose. You know, we weren't there to commit everything to it, and they definitely were. Today's episode comes to you from the decade of mullets, the Rubik's Cube, and Madonna. And it comes to you from Russia. Project Raft emerged in the 1980s, and the people who were in that story are still running rivers today. Greg Cairns, contributing host at the River Radius, got on the phone with these river runners, and he pulled out some incredible audio and TV footage from that era to build today's episode. Here is Greg Cairns with Project Raft. Today I'm talking with Glenna and Earl Alderson about the experiences they had with Project Raft in the late 80s. They traveled to the Altai Mountains, Siberia. The goal was to raft and kayak some of Russia's best rivers and become friends with Russian boaters. I'm pretty excited to share the story with you. A few times you'll hear the voices of Glenna and Earl from 32 years ago. It'll sound old, but if you do hear other people talking, it's probably them. Before we jump in, I want to highlight the fact that all the older sound bits from the episode were generously provided by John Wilcox from Adventure World Productions. They were originally recorded, again, 32 years ago. It's kind of neat. Here's a quick sample of some of the old recordings you'll hear. Today, a journey inside the Soviet Union. Making their raft frames from birch poles, the Soviet rafters navigate big rapids as they join American boaters to run two rivers in Siberia. There's also a lot of fantastic 80s music in here, which I can't find the credits to, but I'm going to include anyway, because it's embedded under much of the important dialogue. It also sets the scene in a pretty wonderful way. Before we get to hear more 80s music, let's meet Glenna and Earl. Uh, I'm Earl Alderson. And I'm Glenna Alderson. And uh, we live in Bend, Oregon right now. Yeah, we just spent the last 32 years teaching outdoor education at a college in New England, Hampshire College. And before that, we were working as river guides, uh, working internationally and, and stuff. But we, you know, we basically both um, started paddling in the, well, late 70s, early 80s, and have been around the river industry since then and still actively paddle a lot. There's a lot of stories. But I think Project Raft is probably a good way to go. Why don't you just go ahead and tell me what Project Raft is to start with? Uh, Project Raft was a organization that started in uh, 1987 with a group of river guides. And Raft was an acronym for Russians and Americans for Teamwork. Because at that time, uh, you know, there was so much propaganda between our two countries and so little understanding of um, 
you know, what life was like even in the Soviet Union. And they were just normal river runners, just like us, and felt as strongly as we did that we needed, our countries needed to be able to get along. So this whole project was very timely. And one of the rafting company managers on the Kern River, Jib Ellison, he kind of just had this idea that he wanted to go someplace and run rivers where Americans had not been going. And uh, a friend of his was a Russian studies major, and she suggested that he look at going into Siberia. He started pursuing it. He wrote this sports organization in Russia, and they wrote back and said they could connect him with some river runners and that's where it all began in 87. And they were, they were running really hard rivers and, uh, you know, class five. And it was definitely, you know, when they went to the river, it was an expedition and um, they were committed to running, you know, as much of the white water as they possibly could. And with gear that was, you know, not near the standards that we had during that time period. And uh, it was impressive. So a group of us, 15 went over. We ultimately showed up in Moscow. We were met there uh, by an interpreter. And so they connected us with these rafting master of sport athletes. And uh, they flew us into a mountaineering camp. And so we all ended up there. It was just an incredibly beautiful place in the Altai Mountains. And we were going to meet up with these Russians and raft the Katoon River. Siberia, a word that brings to mind frozen plains and endless tracks of windblown snow. But this, this is another Siberia, the Altai Mountain region. Beautiful meadows, green trees, and swift, clear rivers. This is the headwaters of the Katoon. It was on this river that Soviet and American rafters began their historic adventure. The Katoon River is 3,000 miles southeast of Moscow. Uh, the first year, we just ran the Katoon at a relatively low water. And then the, when we got back, there was a film, crew, a film company in Aspen, Colorado called American Adventure Productions. And they were getting contracts with um, ABC to do um, hour-long TV segments. And they had found out about the first trip to Siberia and uh, they contacted Project Raft because Project Raft had turned into uh, an organization by that point and asked if they'd be willing to do a trip that they could film. And so that was the second year and we ended up running two rivers on that trip. Um, does Do one of the three rivers stand out to you as like the the biggest, longest, hardest? Well, we, we ran the Katoon twice. And when we put on in August the year before in 87, it was a nice flow. You had class three and four rapids. It wasn't very hard. When we got there the next year in June, I'm thinking it was 60, 70,000 CFS and it was a monster. <laughs> yeah, it was really wow. big. Yeah. And uh, so the first part of that trip, things went pretty well, but I mean, it was, it was really big water. Underway with more than 150 miles of big water ahead. 
Okay. Glenna Lee, a teacher of outdoor education at Hampshire College in Massachusetts, has been a professional whitewater guide for seven years. The Katoon is the biggest and promises to be the most interesting challenge of her career. At first, we didn't know how rough it would be. We soon found out it was wild. 15 to 20 foot waves, over one and right into another. It was like seeing a wall in front of you and then diving down the backside. We missed the eddy where the Russians stopped. We nearly flipped. I thought it was right out of the raft. Everyone was yelling, each wave a new thrill. We just kept paddling. This was real teamwork, teamwork for survival. Earl Alderson from Columbia, Tennessee, got his hands full trying to ride his kayak in a type of wave that boaters call a hole. It was great, just immediate acceleration out of the eddy, and then just into the big hole for the big slam. What a way to wake up, getting and dropping in there, get throbbed. Couldn't find the stabilizing blow through. Did some window shading, got pinwheeled around a few times. Helmet was gone, rolled up. I was about to cruise back in. I said, uh-uh, I'm not going back in there. No way. The first day was supposed to be a get acquainted day, but it turned out to be tough. The river was running at maximum flood level, and so was the adrenaline. The Katoon was every bit as big as the Colorado, the king of American whitewater rivers. The place brought back special memories to Misha Koshevnikov, Soviet master of sport, who has been here many times before. Misha, it seems though a lot of friendship is developing between your group of Soviet rafters and the rafters from the United States. How do you feel about this whole venture? I think the greatest thing about this uh, joint trip is the people from two independent cultures met here. And I think that this mutual interchange of thoughts or ideas makes us richer. We overcome different obstacles here together. And when dealing with each other, we understand each other better. Our task here is not only to run the river, but also to overcome the, the wall existing between our two nations. Today's episode is sponsored on behalf of Protect Our Rivers. Protect Our Rivers is a nonprofit organization founded in 2020 by Sarah Nelson. There are many incredible river organizations working to support rivers. Protect Our Rivers stands out to me because of what they do and what they get other people to do. They get people into the river to pull trash out of the river, and these events give people a chance to connect with rivers and learn firsthand about the pollution and other problems each river is facing. Over the past two years, Protect Our Rivers has engaged 2,102 volunteers at 16 waterways at 70 river cleanup events, pulling out a total of 33,417 pounds of trash. Protect Our Rivers works to improve the rivers in our country through active conservation, education, and access. You can read more and see pics of river cleanups at their website, www.protectourrivers.org, and on Instagram and Facebook. In the river camp, the menu was getting a little thin. As a last resort, there was always breakfast, Soviet style. No, not caviar again.
two things we never ran out of were caveat and Russian sayings. Splav in Russian means rafting, but it's also an acronym for joint trips are the best alternative to war. And then the second part of the trip, we choppered into a river called the Chulishman, very, very remote area. Because of the unusually high spring runoff, the Katoon had been surprisingly difficult. Now the team was wondering what they were in for on the Chulishman. Located 175 miles to the northeast of the Katoon, the Chulishman was a steeper and more technically difficult river. When we got onto that river, it was June, they'd had a big snowpack that winter. The Soviet river guides that were with us told us that the river was at the highest level it had been in in five years. And as we went along, we saw trees that had been ripped out at their roots floating downstream and lots of debris going through the rapids. And it was really pretty scary to see the force of the river in that way. And it was raging and it was a steep, really steep river. So the first day we put on the river and uh, it was like continuous class three. It was we was going along pretty good. And then we came to the first canyon. But the canyon narrowed and the river suddenly got very steep and out of control. And uh, we were all in kayaks. And so we went downstream and we and we actually, once we got down, we radioed back up and it was just big continuous class five, sort of North Payette style river. The team decided to go down one boat at a time. The first oar boat had two extra paddles in the front for additional power. Even then, it took all their strength to reach the safety of the shoreline eddy. And then Dan Grant was rowing the second boat and they each had camera people in their boats. Everyone was digging their paddles deep, going for maximum power to punch the waves. second you went in. Even with special dry suits, you could only last a few minutes. And Dan, at one point, went into a huge hole. Then things went crazy. Everything broke loose. The two people working for the film crew both flew out of his boat. And uh, they Dan left the oars to go try to get them back in the boat. And, and when Dan was off the oars, he went into another big hole and flipped. Dan had grabbed the boat as it went over and managed to pull himself on top. He desperately signaled that there were still others in the water. And so Dan ended up on the bottom of the boat. This was serious. The rapids didn't let up for miles. And if the kayaks failed to catch the swimmers, they might not make it. It was, uh, it was a miracle we didn't end up with a flush drowning. And Julie had pulled her dry suit neck gasket open because she was gagging and filled her dry suit up halfway with water. So she was she was not functioning when they got to the um, beach. And Dan Grant on the bottom of his raft just was gone. 
it's always a really frightening feeling to look upstream and see some people swimming in the river coming downstream, especially from the kayaker's point of view. You're sitting right on the water level. You see them there one moment, they're gone the next. It's the worst place in the world for someone to be is in the middle of a rapid swimming. You're always better off if you're on top of your boat or in the boat, but swimming is really bad. So the first thing you want to do is try to help that person get over to shore. And um, it can be very difficult in a big pounding rapid that's moving along. And, and uh, a lot of times the people are just at the mercy of the flow of the rapid. And the best thing you can do, though, is try to get them on the stern of your boat and pull them over to the side, get them out of the water as quickly as you can. And uh, so finally, Kevin took off with Dan, following him in the kayak, and we got everyone out of the river, and we were really deep in this river canyon. And uh, probably 10 miles downstream, Dan's boat went into another big hole and flipped and uh, Kevin was able to get Dan out of the river. And so those guys ended up hiking back and we rendezvoused everybody. We had a whole nother group of people at the top of the canyon, which we told just not to enter the canyon. Yeah, that, I was in that group. Fortunately, the paddle raft, we didn't go down and we got radioed not to come. So we decided we'd take as much uh, supplies as we could. We had um, backpack dry bags and we'd try to hike down to go help out as much as we could. And it was kind of crazy because these Siberian horsemen just showed up out of nowhere, saw the entertainment and they wanted us to get on the horses and ride with them. But because we didn't really speak Russian and we didn't understand, there was a, a, a confusion on what was going on. They just took our gear and then took off and they went up this huge hill. So three of us ran after them and they didn't want to give us our bags back until we gave them some, uh, what would you say, vodka and maybe some other treats. So we really? didn't have anything. So we ended up waiting till midnight and they got bored and then we got our stuff back. <laughs> and then we finally found everybody downstream on a hillside that was at about 35 degrees and had to sleep at, there. At that point, did you were you aware like that everyone was safe? Yeah, once, once uh, Kevin and Dan Grant showed back up after their long hike back to find us. And we were all rendezvoused. Everybody was safe. I think and it was several hours though. Oh, it was, it was, it was a complete afternoon. You know, it was early morning when we first went in the Canyon. It was late that afternoon or evening when everyone finally rendezvoused. Was your, your two reaction to like this type of swim, how did it differ? Or was it the same as um, the Russian boaters? You know, everyone was, uh, you know, pretty shocked by it all, but definitely the Russians had a very different attitude. I mean, they always said it was kind of like when they went to the river, it was like going to war. They were fully prepared, uh, you know, to commit everything to running rapids. And you could always tell when you're paddling over there, we ended up doing quite a few more trips paddling down into Central Asia as well as Siberia. And you could always tell how difficult a rapid was by they would put plaques on boulders for the number of people that had drowned in a rapid. So when you were scouting a rapid and there were three, four, five plaques on there, you knew it was a really serious rapid. And it was, that was just their mentality though. It's just like, we're here to run the river. We hiked for a really long time to get here. And so we're gonna run it. There was that difference of like, you know, we weren't there to commit everything to it. And they definitely were. Do you have any 
guess like why that difference is there like what did they get out of that type of mentality that that we weren't you know you weren't or american voters aren't really willing to go go there you know i was i got to go back over there and did a women's trip i believe that was in 19 um 90 and i got to speak to the women about their lives and how controlled they were by the government. They're told where they go to school, maybe what their livelihoods are gonna be, where they're gonna live. But when they get out into the woods and the rivers, they're free, There's no one can tell them what to do. So that had something to do with the way that they viewed their recreational pursuits, like let's just go for it. They weren't um, like upset that you no. know the Americans wanted to stop and they wanted no. to keep going. No, no, I think they realized, I mean, the river was much, much higher than any of them had ever seen it. And they, kinda, oh, okay. in, in the, and actually it was kind of, it was pretty wild because the, the raft that flipped that we had lost had everyone's passport visa <laughs> airline ticket. It had, um, six, $6,000 in cash. Oh, and it had, and the, and the most important thing to the film crew was it had a bunch of exposed film. And everything was being shot on 35 millimeter film cameras. This was pre-digital age. Um, four of us in kayaks ended up going downstream to try to find that. And then the rest of the group, they were able to, um, just, to get inf- just to get communication out um, they had to go to a village, which radioed another village, which finally radioed into a village that had contact with, uh, the airport and they were able to get a helicopter to come in and portage the whole rest of the trip downstream to the confluence of the, um, Chilter river. And they had to spend a couple nights on that hill though. Yeah. They, you know, it was an instant. This all took days. And then, uh, we had we'd lost a bunch of food as well in that boat so we had a limited amount of food and the the four of us that kayaked down it pretty quickly just turned into we could care less about the raft or anything else we just want to survive yeah i mean it looks from the video it looks like you know british columbia like out in the middle of nowhere yeah oh it was so remote in the area where we were it's kind of cool it was a it's a national park, but it's a national park that they only allow people into with a special permit. Like you can't just go in there and tour around. And so the researchers and of course our group, you know, were allowed in because um, financially, you know, we could buy our way in. And, uh, but it is amazing area, like just incredibly beautiful. And so we finally get through that canyon and um, and the, it was, we were super lucky that, uh, two brothers, Dan and Mike Grant were able to get in a helicopter and go downstream and they never found the raft, but they found, um, some parts and they found a couple dry bags that had washed up onto a gravel bar. And in one of those dry bags was everyone's passport, visa, airline ticket, the $6,000. We have a great picture of it drying out in this room uh, with one of the, our Russian interpreter was laying on the ground looking at it and just 
her eyes were falling out of her head with all that money. Yeah. Drying. Protect Our Rivers is a river cleanup nonprofit working to pull trash out of rivers. Chairs, TVs, cans, tires, rugs, plastics, small things, big, nasty things. Protect Our Rivers is getting all of that out of rivers. Have you ever participated in a river cleanup? I had not in a long time, and then this year I spent a day with Protect Our Rivers on the South Platte River pulling out trash. All day long with my friend Tom and 282 other people, we collectively pulled out 6,300 pounds of trash. Was it my favorite day on the river this year? Yes and no. That day, I didn't really like spending the day pulling out trash, looking at trash, thinking about trash, touching trash, smelling trash. But at this point in the year, I have talked more about that day of cleaning up that river than I have about any other day on the water this year, to include a Grand Canyon River trip. So far, Protect Our Rivers has worked in West Virginia, Utah, Montana, and Colorado. They are expanding each year. They have several more river cleanups happening this year. You can learn more and engage in so many ways to include pulling trash out of the river yourself. www.protectourrivers.org and on Instagram and Facebook. And they never found the footage. And they lost lost one of the super expensive Panaflex movie cameras but and you know a bunch of mags i think that we we figured out that the total loss of that flip was over a hundred thousand dollars it's cheaper than a person's life though. yeah we were super lucky yeah. that no one drowned it could have easily gone the other way you know it was kind of crazy during that whole um flipping episode because we the kayakers were downstream trying to find this cargo and the rest of us were involved in carrying up what we called the hill from hell, all of our gear, the rafts, the four frames, the food, everything that was left to a place where a helicopter could land. And if you did like two or three trips in a day, you were, you'd done good. It was really loose, sandy soil. It was really steep. And about midday on the second day, I was carrying up the hill with Donnie Dove. We had a raft frame and we were sweating because it's hot out and we just had, you know, minimal clothes on and this helicopter comes in the distance and it looks like it's just going to land on top of Donnie and I. And so we took cover and hit the bushes and this, this copter lands kind of precariously. And this woman that I'd seen before named Ludmilla, she comes out and she points at me to get in this helicopter. And I thought something had happened at home and I needed to get in an emergency flight home or something. So I get in the helicopter and uh, we fly off. And I said, Luda, what's going on? And she just sat there calmly. She was smoking a cigarette. She's like, ah, I am taking you to see Earl. And we flew down the meat of the canyon, down the Chilishman. I got to see everything. It was psycho. And then she landed, we landed in this field and it was um, a caretaker for the forest and his wife and two children. And they fed us this moose stew we had baths. I mean, it was amazing. And I said, are you going back to go get the rest of everybody today? And she just goes, she looks at her watch and goes, no, it is five o'clock. We, we will go tomorrow. And then <laughs> just left. I don't know. She was like the phantom. She was my wow. fairy godmother. <laughs> when you flew over the rest of the canyon and looked down, did you, were you glad that you, got, you stopped where you did? So glad. 
It was, it yeah. was crazy. It, it was, it was definitely, uh, it wouldn't have gone well. No, it wouldn't have gone well. We were no. kind of lucky that things went bad when they did. Mm-hmm. That, that was just a one amazing experience with project raft and the relationships we built with the Soviets that, you know, we ran rivers with for those two years were amazing. Glenna Lee wrote a song expressing something that I think all of us felt. Starts with the friendships we have all formed together. Time spent drifting towards sea. And we all know the joy of the movement of the water. Love of the rivers. Love of you. able to actually uh, bring those guys over here and uh, it started out you know just super difficult they never dreamed they would ever get to travel to the United States and uh, and we got a small group of them over here initially and then it turned into an exchange program where we would take American youth over and run rivers in Siberia and they would be on the river over there with Soviet youth. And then we would bring those same Soviet youth over here and do Grand Canyon trips with them. So they'd be the same Americans that went to Russia getting to come and go, getting Soviets come back over here and us all doing trips together down the canyon. So what is, where, where is Project Draft now? What happened? Well, after the Cold War ended, you know, and politically things got much better. Project Raft kind of ran its course. Uh, it, it's really fun though, the, all the main organizers of um, and people who worked in Project Raft and did all these trips, we're still all in touch together. And they're all, of course, uh, li- what I call lifers for river running. We, just last week, it, we've been having Zoom meetings with that whole group, a whole bunch of them, which has been fun. You know, we just um, catch up and, you know, because this all happened 35 years ago or something. So definitely created some amazing friendships. And it's amazing to me how these communities that are created by the river just build lifelong friendships. And and everyone's love for being on the river just never ceases to uh, diminish. And so it was all over. (laughs) They had come together from opposite sides of the world, worked together, made friends together. And knowing each other as they did now, they knew that under the thin skin of cultural differences, all of us are more alike than we are different. And when you know that, you know you've taken the first real steps towards peace. That's our show. Thanks, Brett Davis, for suggesting this episode. A lot of the old recordings that you heard from this episode are in the full film from the 1988 Project Raft trip. Uh, They can be found on YouTube by searching for Glenna Alderson and Project Raft. If you found this episode interesting, you'll likely enjoy seeing footage from that trip. I want to again thank Glenna and Earl for talking with me today. 
An all-time Mountain River size thank you goes out to all the guests on today's episode. Greg Cairns is the contributing host for this episode. You can find Greg's films at www.cairnsfilm.com. That is spelled C-A-I-R-N-S film.com. Today's episode is sponsored on behalf of Protect Our Rivers. Find them on the web at www.protectourrivers.org. Also on Instagram and Facebook. Be in touch anytime. Hello at theriverradius.com. Thanks so much for joining the River Radius. I was about to cruise back in. I said, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm not going back in there. No way. These Siberian horsemen just showed up out of nowhere, saw the entertainment, and they wanted us to get on the horses and ride with them. You could always tell how difficult a rapid was by they would put plaques on boulders for the number of people that had drowned in a rapid. So when you were scouting a rapid and there were three, four, five plaques on there, you knew it was a really serious rapid. This was real teamwork, teamwork for survival. 